0: You're listening to the Pines Church podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here, and I am so excited that you carved out 25, 30 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside us. For those of you that may be joining for the very first time, we've been talking the past few weeks about adversity and opposition and hardship and how God leads us through the storm. Recently, I've opened up personally about some things that I've had to navigate in the last few weeks. And if I focused in on the storm, it's an invitation for depression, anxiety, and certainly fear that will grip you and direct your attention off of what we're supposed to be focused on which is Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. So, I wanted to talk a little bit today about that resistance and the purpose of facing adversity and hardship. Think about this. You know, we often sing in worship services that we are overcomers and and we we buy the bumper sticker and throw it on our car. But in order to be an overcomer, you have to have overcome something. And so all throughout scripture, if you have eyes to see, you'll see that we're going to face these things, but that God has given us the victory in the midst of it. So how do you pinpoint if you're currently wrestling with adversity and opposition? And I came up with a few uh, things that you might say you might not even be aware that you're saying, but if you've said these things in the past couple of weeks, it's probably because you're facing some kind of opposition or adversity. And here we go. I can't believe this is happening to me. Have you ever said that? <laughs> I've, I've said that. Um, why me, right? Why do I have to go through this? There's a common thread throughout these two. I See if you can pick up on it. I hate this. No one can relate to what I'm going through. I had somebody share that with me the other day. No one can relate to what I'm going through. Why can't I just have a normal life? Why do I have to face all this stuff? God, please take this away. Man, giving up would be so much easier than navigating this. If you've said any of those things, then you're in the midst of a battle, right? And um, this have you ever... You ever heard this term? I heard somebody say this the other day. It kind of stuck out to me. Like, I'm on the struggle bus. Anybody ever been on the struggle bus, dude? I thought that was an interesting term. Like, I've been on the struggle bus the past couple of weeks. And it's important to be able to pinpoint and navigate that, oh, guess what? There's something coming against me. Spiritual warfare is real. And the fact that you're facing opposition means that you're often moving in the right direction. Because the enemy attacks what he's threatened by. Have you heard this statement, the struggle is real? Man, the struggle is real. It's like something we say to each other, like, hey, how's it going? And we're like, oh man, you know, I'm going through this, I'm navigating this. And then somebody says in response, yeah, man, the struggle is real. Well, the struggle is real, but for a purpose and a reason. And I want to share with you what what I found in scripture, because as I was navigating this, I saw this and I'd never seen it before. And it's, it's really interesting. So I'm just going to go ahead. And this is in the Old Testament. I'm reading out of Judges. And this is out of the message. So this is Judges 3:1. And it says this: These are the nations that God left there, using them to test the Israelites who had no experience in the Canaanite wars. Judges 3:4. They were there to test Israel and to see whether they would obey God's commands that were given to their parents through Moses. So scripture is telling us that God intentionally left Israel's enemies in the land for the purpose to test what was in their hearts. Whoa! That is like a revelation that often as we pray, God, remove this, God, remove this, God, remove this, God is leaving those things there to test, to see what is inside of your heart. In fact, resistance often marks where we should be going. So in other words, if we're moving in one direction, we're coming against all this opposition, often that's a sign that we're moving in the right right direction. And if we go on a different path, and we're not encountering any opposition, it can be a sign that we're moving in the wrong direction. Why? Because the contrary is true. If the enemy attacks what he's threatened by, he leaves you alone if you're not bothering him. Does that make sense? So this is why James tells us in, in James 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing, there's that word again, test, test, testing of your faith, produces, it's producing something when you're tested, steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we need this in order to come into perfection. Peter tells us that we should um, be very glad when we join in the sufferings of Christ, okay? So Peter, James, Paul, all of them are letting us in on this secret that we're going to face adversity and hardship, and actually we should change the way that we look at it because these things are producing something inside of us. And they use that word test all the way in the Old Testament, and the new test amendment. So what is the purpose of a test, right? Why does a teacher give you a test? Say, close your books, right? We've, we've, we've done a lot of study and research and had a lot of class discussions on a particular topic, and now I'm going to test you to see if you've learned what you've been studying. And a teacher won't give you, administer that test unless they're confident that you steward and hold the answers, at least a good teacher, right? And God is a good teacher. So as I was meditating on, you know, the, this this text in in Judges that God left the enemies, right? I just took a look at the enemies that he left. There were five and he left the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the ites, right? Like all these different ites. And how many of you know names have meaning, especially in Scripture? God would change people's names. So names held a lot of meaning. And if you look at these, the names of these enemies and the meaning of their names, it really starts to paint the picture that God was setting up these tests for Israel to overcome these stumbling blocks and these idols for them to be able to walk into maturity and perfection. And so I'm gonna go through the list over the next few minutes and highlight the five enemy groups that God left to test Israel and the meaning of those names and the significance and relevance it had not only to them, but to us, Now, so the Hittites, we'll talk about the Hittites first, okay? The Hittites can be broken down. The meaning of that is terror. They incited terror in their enemies. So this is highlighting that we're going to have to square off and face our fears. And how do we overcome our fears? The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Think about it, right? Faith moves, fear freezes. Fear freezes us in the moment when we, and we, we start to turn inward and begin to think about ourselves. What's going to happen to us? Peter became fearful when he looked at the waves in the storm because he thought about self-preservation. What's going to happen to me? But if his eyes were fixed on Jesus, he found himself walking on water. Did you know that the number one commandment in all of scripture is do not be afraid? Did you know that that commandment is listed 365 times? How many days are in a year? So God is trying to communicate something through his word. He knew that the enemy's number one plan was to intimidate us, was to scare us, was to incite fear in us. In fear isn't actually real. It's a scenario of things that have not happened yet. It's faith in reverse. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Worry or fear is, is the substance of things dreaded, and you're bringing that into reality. And so God is trying to get this point across. Do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. So As we move forward in the plan and will for our lives, we, every single one of us, is going to have to square off with fear. Just like the Israelites were going to have to square off with that. Number two, they had to fight the Amorites. And the Amorites was defined as pride and arrogance. They were going to have to square off with pride. Pride is extremely dangerous because pride... When we allow pride to enter into our hearts, we cannot hear the voice of God. And I've shared this many times that pride isn't just the traditional sense of arrogance. I've done this. I've accomplished this. I've I've succeeded in this. Therefore, I deserve your recognition, your attention, your praise, and your likes, and your follows on social media. Yes, that is pride. But pride is also self-pity, right? Because self-pity says, I've gone through this. This has been done to me. Um, I've had to navigate all this. Therefore, I deserve your recognition, your attention, your likes, and your follows. It's the same thing. It's just repackaged. And we have to be aware of this. And if you go back to the beginning... Those statements that I I shared to identify if you're in a season of resistance, they're all me-focused. I can't believe this is happening to me. Why me? Why do I have to go through this? And pride will get you to focus in on yourself. It's a narcissistic spirit when the opposite is true of the gospel. We are to esteem others higher than ourselves. Jesus, the Son of God, came to serve others, not to be served by others. And so we must kill this giant in our lives of pride. And often we we look at what we've been entrusted to us. Maybe it's um, our careers. Maybe it's a particular gifting and we, we despise slow beginnings. This is an area of opportunity for me. This is something that I struggle with. And, you know, like, why can't I just have success right now? Why can't things be bigger right now? And, and, I, and I get into this, I must be doing something wrong. Me, 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 the me monster. Me, myself, and I. Me, 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 right? And I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's how I know that I'm drifting off of God's path. And, you know, fast success... Can actually build pride. And often things g- grow slow because it builds a greater dependency upon God and trust in God. And so the opposite, the antithesis of pride is humility. And one of the things I always say is that I don't care if you're in your 60s, your 70s, your 50s, there is no bottom floor in the elevator of humility, meaning that you're not going to arrive. Humility isn't a destination, it's a journey. And the Bible says that God resists the proud, and I can tell you, you never wanna be in a position where God is resisting you, but he gives grace to the humble, and grace empowers us to go beyond what we're actually capable of. We can only get so far with our talent, with our intellect, with our education, and with our experience. Grace takes us beyond that. And every single one of us want to walk in the fullness of that. And so when you think of humility, I always think of that song in the club, how low can you go? Can you go real low all the way to the flow, right? You can keep on going lowing. How low can you go with humility? Number three, the Israelites had to square off with the Canaanites. Now, that's pretty familiar, the Canaanites, right? Um, you see them pop up all throughout the Old Testament. And their, their definition of their name is intimidation, okay? And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of timidity or intimidation, but a power, love, and a sound mind, Our confidence is in God. These are promises that God has given us that we inherit as children of God. Now, you may say, I don't feel like I'm walking in power. I don't feel like loving people. I don't feel like I'm walking in a sound mind. Well, you have to receive those promises the same way you receive any promise in God's word, by faith we have not been given a spirit of timidity or intimidation and i see this on people you know some people i'll I'll just give you an example okay so my daughter has started school at at a new school and so obviously she doesn't have any friends yet because she hasn't met anybody and she's kind of quiet she's she's kind of introverted and she's been going like this is october right so she's been going to school for a month and a half or whatever and she's struggling making friends, and so every day I ask her, did you introduce yourself to anybody? Did you invite anybody to sit with you at the lunch table? And, you know, she'll say, oh, no, and she's like, I'm just introverted. I'm shy, and I'm like, okay, introverted and extroverted, first and foremost, uh, aren't, aren't like our inheritance, okay? They may have, we may be, I may like to spend time at home, and I may be energized by spending time, out with others, okay? But they're not labels that like completely define us. That's why I hate personality tests. And it may give us a glimpse into some of the things, our attributes, but it's not like this definition to hide behind. And I felt like my daughter was hiding behind this. God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity. There's a reason you desire friends. You really want friends. It's a godly desire. We are meant to live life alongside of each other, but it's timidity it's fear that's holding you back. And God, that's not from God. That's the enemy trying to isolate you. And you have to step over that intimidation because God has given you power, love, and a sound mind. So I'm trying to encourage my daughter to make friends, to get out there, to not worry about people, what people are going to think if she invites them to sit next to her if she introduces herself, and I know that she's a child, 13, but there are many adults that struggle with that too, and I'm just telling you that that spirit is not from God, and God wants you to be in relationship with people, and yes, you may be introverted. Your idea of a good night on a Friday is to curl up with a book and sit by a fire. I get that. I love reading, okay, but you can't hide behind that label and use it as an excuse not to make friends because you were meant to live in community. Number four, the Hivites, okay? The Hivites were defined as opulent and lavish, okay? So my my wife actually asked, asked me, what, what is opulence? Okay, so opulence is like, it's not about having money. It's about buying like stupid, ridiculous things, you know, with your money. It's like having a, a gold-plated pen just for the sake of having a gold-plated pen. It's like throwing your money in people's faces, right? And um, God has told us it's, it's never having enough, right? I got to have the biggest, I got to have the best. I got to have the biggest, I got to have the best. And in a way, Americans struggle with this. Most Americans, we're in the top one, regardless if you make $40,000 a year uh, or or less, you're in the top 1% of the entire world as far as earnings. Most of us have a car. Most of us have a sofa. Most of us have a bed. But then we jump on the hamster wheel of marketing, right? And we're told we need a new car. We need a new bed. We need a new sofa. We need a new phone. We need a better jacket. We need cooler sneakers. And so we're not content with what we have. And so opulence and life is like this idea that you, you spin into this thing. I need something better. I need something better. I need something better. And you're never content with what you have. And so God, and this is really interesting, is saying to the Israelites, like you have to conquer this spirit. It's a spirit. It's an enemy that's been set in your life and you have to have victory over this or you'll never be content. You'll always want, want, want. And so it's finding contentment and gratitude. It's rejoicing. It's taking joy in the things that God has already done for you. You'll find that word peppered all throughout scripture. But I've heard, you know, I've heard very few sermons on it. Rejoicing, taking joy in the things that God has already done. Psalm 107, 21 says this, Let us thank the Lord For his steadfast love, for his wondrous works, for the children of men. And let us offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Thanksgiving isn't just a Thursday in November. It's this lifestyle. We have to give thanks. And what that does is it puts God on the throne of our hearts. And I love that it highlights here that we're to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. What does that mean? It means sometimes... You don't feel like giving thanks for what you have. Sometimes, you know, you're frustrated with your vehicle. Sometimes you're frustrated, you know, with your house. But to give a sacrifice of thanksgiving, because it changes your perspective and it changes your heart. And true inner peace is found in contentment and gratitude. And God wanted the Israelites to give. Get this revelation inside of their hearts. and he wants us to get it as well. And th- And number five, the Jebusites, it sounds like a bug or something, the Jebusites, they were immoral and polluted. And obviously we've been called to be ambassadors of Christ. We've been called, as Hebrews 11 tells us, to pursue holiness without which no one is going to see the Lord. You know, I used to read that scripture and say, if I don't pursue holiness, I'm not going to see God. And I certainly believe that that is what it means. But as I studied, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me a revelation. Look, if we as a church don't pursue holiness, then the world isn't going to see the Lord. So in other words, if the world looks at you and says, well, you watch everything I watch, you say everything I say, you listen to everything I listen to, you're really no different than me, then we've done a poor job of being ambassadors of God, because the one attribute that's listed above all other attributes that the seraphim cry out night and day is holy, 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 right? And so, We have to be careful about what we allow into our eyes and what we allow into our ears. Like, I wouldn't have to take time to break this down to explain to you that there are certain foods that are going to do you wrong. If you drink alcohol all the time, it's going to destroy your liver, right? We understand this. Well, the same is true of, of, of this stuff that we watch, read, consume, and listen to. You know, the average American spends two hours and 27 minutes on social media. Two hours and 27 minutes. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 22, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. So if we have reverence, if we have awe for God, we're going to be filled with light. If you live with a squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, 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 Your body is a musty cellar. That's out of the message translation, but I think it gives a beautiful depiction of like how what we allow into our hearts and into our minds and into our eyes corrupts and pollutes our hearts. So we have to be careful of what we listen to. You know, I shared just a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a Netflix show that came out on the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, and in the first week, there was over 197 hours, 197 million hours logged of people watching it. You know, like, what, what do you think that does to your spirit? I'm just, I'm just being real, man. So, so we have to be careful and guard what comes into our eyes and what comes into our ears. We have to battle this immorality and pollution that's in our world and focus on those things that are lovely, noble, honorable. Pure, holy. Now, I want to I highlight this. So, God left these enemies. I want to kind of close with this. The Bible says in first, 1 Corinthians 10 13, God keeps his promises, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your own power to remain firm. So, there's that word test again. Okay? So, God is telling us, look, I'm not going to give you a test that you don't have the answers to. I'm not going to give you a calculus test in algebra class, which I never got to calculus, but I'm not going to give that to you. So in other words, God is going to give you tests in seasons of your life that he knows that the answers and the power and the grace and the strength are inside of you to pass so that that you can move on to the new seasons of your life. So we need these tests in order to be able to graduate, to move from algebra into calculus. See, can I give you, and and you know what? Speaking of tests, can I give you a little secret? God gives us these tests, but it's an open book test, meaning we have access to God's word Okay, and we have more importantly, we have access to Him. God, the Bible promises He will never leave nor forsake us. He walks with us in the midst of these storms and tests. Second Corinthians two fourteen. Now thanks be to God who always—just say always to yourself—always leads us in triumph. In Christ, meaning that if God has set up a test for you, He is willing to walk alongside you to triumph and have victory over the opposition and the adversity and the enemies that you are facing. You know, think about it we need resistance. We try to pray, God, remove all the barriers, remove all the opposition. But it's, it's that very opposition that's creating in us a steadfastness and a perseverance. If it wasn't for resistance, we wouldn't have scriptures like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why would you need Christ's strength if you weren't going to have opposition and adversity? No, adversity helps us graduate to the next season of our lives, helps us mature, brings us closer to perfection, but also brings us closer to God. Our relationship with God, I'm just going to say it becomes more personal in times of adversity and struggle than in times of plenty. I remember, you know, when Je- I'll just give you an example. When Jess and I were first married, right, the honeymoon season, you know, we were all like, couldn't keep our hands off each other. It was still kind of like that, six kids, okay? Um, but, um, you know, everything was like shiny, happy, it was beautiful. And then we started to have it to navigate budget <laughs> and, you know, more difficult things. And I remember, especially at the beginning, we had worked ourselves into a position where we were actually in debt. I remember it was like an insurmountable number. It was $8,000. And that was a lot of, lot of money, um, where we just thought, well, we need this, we need this. And it just seemed insurmountable. And I remember at the beginning, you know, we had dates where um, it was Blockbuster and a pizza. And I, if you remember Blockbuster, for those of you who are watching, it wasn't a new release. A new release was $4.95 but you could, rent, or you could rent an old release for $1.95. So it was an old release, and it wasn't Domino's pizza. It was DiGiorno, because Domino's was 20 bucks, and DiGiorno's uh, frozen pizza at the store was 10 So it was a $12 night. That was a date for Jess and I in the beginning, because we had gotten ourselves in a position where God was trying to teach us stewardship right? And so we had to face, and you know what? We wanted God just to come sweeping and knocking, knock it all out, but God was doing something inside of us. There was a purpose to our struggle. We were learning to budget. We were learning to be good stewards. We were learning to sow and to reap, and I wouldn't trade that for anything because Jess and I have learned so much about ourselves that now we can pass on to our children so they don't have to make the same mistakes as us, And we learned to walk closely with the Lord because we didn't have the capability nor the salary to be able to get ourselves out of that. We had to cling to Jesus. And so he became more real to us. Instead of running to our credit card, we had to run to him. Every time we had a bill, we had to go to God. And so these struggles and this opposition that we face, they have a purpose and a meaning. And I want to close with this. Along those same lines, right, of the struggle bringing us closer to God, I was reading this, and I'd never seen this before. I'd read this scripture like probably like you a hundred million times that I'd never seen this. Psalm 23, okay, very, very familiar, but I'm going to read it to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, if, you've re- if you have this scripture memorized, you know where I'm going. There's a transition. We transition from this green pastures and he quiets my soul, right? Into resistance. But interesting how he speaks of God. So in the beginning, in the good times, he's like, he does this and he leads me beside the waters and he restores my soul. But look at the way that David talks about his relationship with God when he's navigating resistance. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's not he anymore. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see the transition? That David, although God has called us to good times, was relating to God in that he does this, he does this. But as we navigated the storms, Jesus became more real. He clung to him. We need to change the way that we see adversity, hardship, and opposition, and resistance. We need to see it the way that an athlete sees the gym, as a stepping stone to us becoming stronger and closer with God. I hope that you got something out of this. I want to pray for you real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the word that you've commanded me to share. I pray that it would resonate in people's hearts. I pray that people would look at adversity as an opportunity to come closer to you. God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for being with us. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.